So hello, everyone. Welcome to the CPP Group event here in the European Parliament uh, in uh, Strasbourg. Uh, on the economic impact of the war in Ukraine uh, across the world and also here in the European Union, what kind of relief can we help provide for Europeans uh, and their businesses uh, as well? Joining us to talk about this are uh, Siegfried uh, Murasan, uh, on the Budget Committee, Economic, Monetary and Affairs. You're the rapporteur on the uh, Recovery and Resilience Facility. We'll talk more about that. Um, far end uh, over there is uh, Markus Felber, uh, Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee, Transport and Tourism as well. Uh, and Christian Ehler, uh, who is on the Industry Research, Industry, uh, Research and Energy Committee uh, as well. How can we help Europeans uh, to cope with uh, what is going on right now. We're seeing a record uh, in inflation uh, for decades. Uh, we're seeing heating and fuel costs skyrocketing, the cost of living for everyone. We're struggling with this. Uh, and there is a recovery fund out there already, but you know, how much can we speed that up? That uh, uh, there are still 200 billion in loans uh, still available. Uh, what kind of relief can we talk about here? Um, so let's uh, quickly go then to, uh, and, and we have, I have a bunch of questions for you, but Siegfried, um, tell us about this recovery and resilience facility. How can this help Europeans? Look, the invasion of Russian armed forces into Ukraine affected Ukraine, but it also affected the European Union. It affected the economy of the European Union. There is questions with regards to the energy supplies. Uh, uh, people are concerned by the high inflation. Supply chains of different goods were affected. Trade, transport were also affected. Food security, as we were importing some agricultural products from Ukraine, as we were importing from Russia as well. Mm -hmm. Um, people expect solutions and we as European Union have the duty to deliver, but it is important to say that there is no one silver bullet yeah. at, the, at the disposal of EU institutions to solve this all. We will all have to participate, the local level, the national level, the European level, private and public entities. What can we do? You mentioned the recovery and resilience facility. Yes. This was created about 700 billion euros at the beginning of the COVID crisis. It is the biggest package of economic support ever created by the European Union to help people, enterprises, regions to cope with COVID and with economic and social consequences. So it came at the right time, not only for COVID, but for what's happening now. And we then said we want to help those affected, but we also want to make our economies and our public systems more resilient, better prepared for the future. Our economies have to be more competitive, uh, our economies have to invest more in research and innovation. Our public systems have to be more digital, more efficient, and our economy in general has to be cleaner, greener, and more digital. So it's not just about money, it's about how it's used and what we do with it. It is very much about fundamentally reforming <coughs> our societies, our public systems, our economies, so that we make sure that never again in the future a crisis can hit us like that. It mm. is about preparing better for the future. And what we have done now, after the beginning of the war, is to say we are ready to use this amount, these amounts of money where possible, uh, so that countries can cope with the consequences of the war in Ukraine. The European Commission has put forward a proposal on the 18th of May, mm -hmm. which basically opens the door for countries to um, fund, include 
large uh, energy infrastructure projects. We need to connect our energy infrastructure better so that we can take the energy from where we have it to where it is needed. We need to improve our energy efficiency because the less energy we consume, the less we are also depending on Russian Indeed. energy. And we need to invest in new energy technologies, hydrogen being one of them, and we need more cross-border projects which are of a European added value. This is what we should do, together with, of course, reducing our dependency on Russian energy. If member states intend to put forward projects in this area, mm. the European Commission has opened the door to making this possible. And this, this recovery and facility, uh, resilience and facility that you were a rapporteur for, um, how did you contribute to that report? How did you modify how what the Commission proposed? Look, uh, the Commission made its first proposal in May 2020, two months after the start of the COVID pandemic. And the Commission said primarily money should go into greening, into digital, mm -hmm. but we have realized that the priorities of the 27 member states are also vaster, so we created a structure with six pillars. We said money should go firstly into greening, secondly into digital, with EPP strongly defending the digitization of our economy. Right. Thirdly, we said money needs to go into economic competitiveness, support the industry, support the SMEs, make sure that our economy becomes more innovative. Fourthly, regional and social cohesion. Um, five, um, administrative resilience. Uh, modernize our public entities. And six, money for youth. We have, we have created a structure with clear European rules, but which allow countries to use the money based on different priorities which exist between Malta and Ireland, Finland, Portugal, Bulgaria. Priorities are different. Countries can use the money for, for what they needed, but respecting the European rules and respecting the clear principle of conditionality, mm. because this is an instrument of investments, but also of reforms. Yeah. We want Strings to reform, test. we want to make our economies more modern and better fit for the future. Okay. Um, let me move on to Malkus, Malkus Felbo, uh, Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee, also Transport and Tourism. What's, what's your take on this, on, on how this recovery and res resilience facility can contribute to what's happening now, beyond COVID, now, this, this crisis? Yeah, firstly, thank you very much, Chris, for the question. We have to make a, a, a clear assessment. What are the problems? And I think we have to see, we have three different problems which we have to address. Number one is, of course, that we had in the past a monetary policy by the European Central Bank, which now created inflation because the money available was increasing tremendously. And even in January, which was before the war, mm. we had 5% inflation rate in the Eurozone, and therefore we need reaction from the European Central Bank. On the other hand, we see that on the supply side, things have changed. And especially an economy like the European one, which is linked uh, to really a, a proper approach all over the world. Mm. Uh, we are hurt by various things. Uh, number one is uh, what happened in China in the last weeks when yeah. uh, Singapore, uh, when, when, when uh, Shanghai was closed. Yeah. Supply uh, chain problems. Supply yeah. chain problems. Yeah. And of course, uh, what happened now directly in front of us with Ukraine and Russia is the third uh, threat we are confronted with, firstly, uh, we have to rethink, and I think that is something which uh, will be a main issue in the industry committee, and Secret has spoken already about that, how we can transform our energy demands mm. <laughs> and how we can reform our energy markets inside yeah. European Union. 
And on the other hand, how we can help uh, that we do not run in a stagflation. And that is the main concern we have in, on the economic side, that we yeah. have an economical stagnation with high inflation. And to address that is more complicated than people think. Uh, because you will not solve the problems by asking more public investment and create more demand if yeah. the supply is not uh, able to deliver. And secondly, uh, and that will increase inflation additionally. And, and secondly, uh, we really have to, to find answers how to help especially the poorer people in, in, in Europe that we have not a, a division of our society. And that is one of our main concerns as yeah. EPP as well. And therefore, we need a, a lot of tools, on the other hand, to address that. I'm very happy that the Commission already made some proposals on how to address state aid rules, and mm -hmm. uh, that is very important. Number two is, of course, what can be done on member state level, for example, reduction VAT for special products, how to reduce uh, energy taxation mm -hmm. for special products, how to overcome these problems, and thirdly, how on the supply side we can bring more production back to Europe and therefore of course we have to cut red tape as well because it's easier to transfer a company outside Europe than to found a new one mm -hmm. inside Europe yeah. and that has to be addressed as well. So more flexibility in general then, Yeah, right? we need a toolbox. There's not the screwdriver and the one screw to adjust. We need really a toolbox to yeah. address these problems in the same way uh, otherwise, we will fail. And that is my main concern. Uh, stagnation and high inflation is the most crucial development uh, we are confronted with. And that will have a lot of social impacts, mm. will have a lot of economical impacts, which will be more costly at the end when we are not addressing it properly at the moment. That's why these tools Secret has spoken about are on high importance uh, to help member states, to enable them to address uh, the right decisions. Right. Let, let, let's talk about industry research and energy, um, Christian Elo. Um, how can that be addressed? I mean, especially on energy. I think that's what's on most on people's minds right now because of the skyrocketing energy prices, right? I think what we have to do is, first of all, that we share, I think, as EPP, we need more of a European market. I mean, um, what we do on LNG gas right now, so mm -hmm. to substitute in an emergency way um, Russian gas, um, practically has the biggest challenge by the lack of an integrated European energy infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We have the on-land capacities for LNGs in Spain, but we don't have a connection from the Iberian Peninsula to Western Europe. So what yeah. we see all over is the more integrated market we have, the more flexible we are to react. I mean, nobody could predict five years from uh, ago that we would really try to phase out Russian gas. But what was predictable is that the more ambition you have in terms of energy, uh, the more market you need. And we're going to see that now. So um, we have to learn out of the past, um, but we have to see, look also in the future. I mean, we all know that we need hydrogen. Mm. Uh, but we don't have an existing hydrogen infrastructure in Europe. So yeah. we are now focusing on Ipsize, so very prominent regional projects, fine, pilot projects, all good, but that doesn't answer the supply question in the future. So right now, yet again, we are coming always back. If we are lacking an integration of the market, we are lacking the flexibilities and answers for the challenges. But we've been talking about energy union, energy independence, well before this conflict. 
How much does this really give the impetus for that to happen? I mean, the ones who didn't realize the shot, I mean, now, I mean, everyone should understand. I mean, we're in a situation in autumn, beginning of the winter, when Mr. Putin is shutting down gas supply to Europe. Mm. We, we, we will be challenged really to heat the homes in Europe. Yeah. So I think there had been a lot of, I mean, the, 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 for example, the, the, the connection between the Iberian Peninsula and, and, and France. What was the obstacle? In the beginning, France tried to protect their markets. Later on, um, the economic value of that, um, tr uh, of that connection was questioned. Um, but, I mean, we, we have to understand uh, that if we don't have a more integrated market right now, I mean, it is now no longer about would it be good, would it be plausible, would it be beneficial? Mm. It's simply a question of life and death. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, we we at war. Yeah. And we might not fight practically, but we at war. And this is not just related to, for example, the question of um, infrastructure. It's also the question whether we unite in the, uh, uh, behind the idea what we are going to do strategically with raw materials. I mean, what, what is one of the big consequences? We are mm -hmm. dependent on, on, on three regions. On the United States, yes, they are an ally, but mm -hmm. sometimes well, they act in with their the changing too, sometimes. Yeah, right. Uh, right. agenda, uh, yeah. then it's China and it's Russia. So, and realistically, we don't just don't have a challenge with um, with gas. I think personally, we might be able to manage. But what happens if mm. there would be a complete shutdown of raw materials from Russia? Then we are completely dependent on China. Mm -hmm. So China is allied um, with the Russians. So what would happen in a theoretical situation when China and Russia are cutting down raw materials? Serious. Not even as an aggressive act. Simply saying we need that for our economy. Mm. So the Chinese are buying Russian raw materials. The Chinese are saying we have a growing economy, we have a changing economy, our appetite for raw material is raising. Mm. What then? So I think what what our our approach in the industry committee is now really more integrated market, a more strategic and common perspective of Europe, how to cope with global uh, supply change with the raw material questions. So get practical. Okay. Um, let me come back over on the money side then, on the budget thing, um, on crunching the numbers there. There is a demand, and I think the EPP group would like to see uh, some relief on, on energy taxes, on, on VAT, though you've got to keep in, mind, <clears throat> keep in mind about budgets too, right? But how much relief can there be for Europeans, European consumers, uh, and businesses when it comes to taxes? Look, things are, things are clearly interlinked. Firstly, um, the more energy efficient we are, the less energy we consume, the smaller the bill for, uh, for consumers, for private individuals and companies, firstly. Secondly, what, Mar uh, what uh, Christian Ehler said before on energy uh, independence is very important, and I would like to underline that for 15 years we have been talking about the need to reduce energy dependency on Russia. Mm. But if I look at the map of Europe today, unfortunately, there are more pipelines that connect us to Russia. We increase dependency while we're talking about uh, decreasing it, and that was a mistake. And we need to correct that, mm. um, and um, we need to understand that any single dependency on one single country of origin, on one single route of transport, or on one single uh, source of energy is dangerous. Um, we now see the negative consequences of our dependency on Russia, but because of what Christian Ehler explained, and I agree with him, any dependency on China or, or on any other single region, route of transport or source of energy would be equally 
dangerous for us. This is why we have to diversify mm. more sources, more countries to buy from. I am fine with buying more gas from the United States this year, but um, we need to buy in a diverse manner, not to be dependent on any single country diversify. or source. Um, then when it comes to raw materials, we need to recycle more where we can recycle so that once that we bought and imported a raw material, uh, those raw materials that, that we use in different products, in different types of storages, um, that we then uh, uh, can recycle where it can be done. The energy mix is important. Some countries opt for nuclear energy, some are totally against, some have better conditions for hydro, some for wind, some for solar. Yeah, depends on the country. So we, yeah. we are setting a framework at European level, but of course, uh, we should also use the competitive advantage and the contributions of each of the member states. And this will, to conclude by answering your question, this will mm. also help us reduce the, the, the bill and the, uh, the burden upon, uh, upon uh, consumers. Okay. Um, you're watching the CPP Group event here in the European Parliament. Uh, we're talking about the uh, economic impact uh, from the Ukraine war on all of us. Uh, and if you hear a good soundbite, please project it. Uh, at uh, EPP Group uh, is a good handle to put on there. Um, let's talk about regulation, regulatory moratorium. To what extent should there be regulatory moratorium, um, uh, uh, Malchus, on, uh, you know, for, for European businesses? I think uh, even the lesson we learned out of COVID and to see our dependency, especially on China, starting with uh, simple products like masks, mm. we have not been able to produce them inside Europe, or traditional medi medicaments, pharmaceuticals, which we do not produce anymore in Europe, showed mm. how dependent we are and how vulnerable we are. Ah. So that is number one. Of course, you can create a world where you put all the problems to the rest of the world, and Europe is a funny... Uh, region where we uh, protect everything, but uh, not our industry. Mm. And, and therefore, we have to find a back to a balanced approach. Of course, we have responsibilities for our environment. Of course, we have responsibility for the climate, but we have responsibility for our people as well. Yeah. So as I said, even COVID learned the lesson that we have to bring some production back to Europe. And and that was said by everyone now, and I fully agree with that and share mm. that we are not in a casino where you put all the money on, on one number, yeah. on one country, and to create dependencies or to replace existing dependencies with new dependencies. Mm. But to achieve that, we really have to rethink whether we need now, for example, when we have now the votes on Fit for 55 package, yeah. Of course, we have a responsibility. Yeah, reducing carbon output 55% by 2030. Yeah, the yeah. reduction of yeah. CO2 emissions. <clears throat> we have to deliver, yes, but we should not overdrew the screw. And that is what we see from other groups who, who have solutions where we create the new dependencies, for example, in 100% electromobility yeah. for individual mm -hmm. transport. We have to be uh, aware that, um, for example, on, on the chemical sector, where the Commission is in the preparation of, of, of a new legislation in, yep. on the REACH, yep. which uh, the, the, the is a good of, uh, tool to reduce toxic, chemicals. Uh, yep. uh, a toxic uh, products yep. in the European Union. But if you bring that to zero, you kill the production as well. Yeah. And, and therefore, to find a more balanced approach, only to mention these two things, mm. and I could add a long list on that, uh, is very crucial now. 
that we can keep production in the European Union. And um, so it's not only cutting red tape, what member yeah. states very, uh, often do, especially the country I know best, uh, but even that we do not start with new legislation, adding new problems on top. For example, mm -hmm. uh, reporting obligations. We will not save the planet by reportings, we save the planet by actions. Yeah. And therefore, a lot of things can be done. I stop now because I have a long list in mind. Yeah. But that is something we are negotiating now with the Commission as well, to concentrate on the big things which have to be addressed, no doubt about that, but to reduce additional burdens which will hurt our economy and will even strengthen our dependencies on other regions, especially on China. Not easy to uh, strike a balance between that regulatory moratorium and Fit for 55, trying to slash emissions and become more uh, and become greener. But uh, no, I think it's, gonna, the, yeah? it's the opposite. Christian? I mean, or you can do both. I mean, what do <laughs> we have to we have yeah. to we have simply to. I mean, the, the original idea of the commission was to have the Green Deal. So now we have the regulatory part. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is um, nothing less than transformative, what we are planning. Mm -hmm. And then the Commission had been saying we have an industry policy which is looking to individual sectors. The Commission was identifying 17 sectors and then saying that there is the logic of ecosystem. So each industrial sector mm -hmm. has its own rules, its own uh, framing conditions and so. But the Commission never delivered on that. Mm -hmm. So we're not, with, with this plea for a moratorium, we're not like shooting in the wood with a shotgun. Okay. It follows the logic of what had been proposed by the Commission. They had been saying we do regulation, but then we look to the individual sectors and say what is constituting that sectors. And that had been never delivered. And as, as Marcus had been rightly saying, I mean, we have a chemical industry which needs 10 times more, more energy than before. Um, the investments are getting in the billions, literally. So this is an industry transforming in eight years. Um, we still have in the basic chemical products, we are world leading. And the projections, and that's not the industry projection, the projection from, from, from the scientific side are that if you do both, if you over-regulate at the same time, at the same time we want them to invest, that's not going to work. So we have to focus, and we are in a triangle of a war with Ukraine, the aftermath of Corona, which mm -hmm. caused a recession in some member states, like, like in Italy, and the challenges for Fit for 55. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think if you see that triangle, I think it's a, it's a well-positioned plea that the Commission is living up to their own ambition. They mm -hmm. had been mm -hmm. announcing that they want to describe the ecosystem for the industrial sectors. And we are not, and that's important, we are not en against environmental law. That is, I mean, REACH is a good example, but it shouldn't be the only one. And as uh, uh, Marcos had been saying, we are, we are now preparing another round of documentations for small companies. I mean, they have to cope that they simply, they have rising energy prices, they have more regulation, they are confronted with a recession, they have problems um, with qualified, to find qualified people. And then we are not willing for a phase of eight years where we say, okay, in this, all of that, we simply say no additional burden to the industry. And the interesting right. thing, the industry here wasn't lobbying for Fit for 55 to get a relief or something like that. Most of the time, they were lobbying that we don't get in their way by additional regulation by what we had been placing. Mm. That's the biggest challenge for Fit for 55. That's ourselves, the over-regulation of Europe. You don't have to go and vote right now, do you? This, this 
alarm keeps going off, and I, I don't want. That is what the bell asked human. for. Yeah. It's okay. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on then. Uh, this is all going to cost money. And what about this recovery fund? How do we expand the scope of, of recovery fund loans for it, for instance? Look, when it comes to the money, we are ready to do our share as, uh, as uh, European Parliament, but we cannot shoulder the burden alone. What we are ready to do is uh, we committed that 30% uh, of all money that the European Union will spend in the next seven years will go into projects which have a positive contribution upon the environment, will go into green projects. 30%. Yeah. From the traditional budget of the European Union, it will be about 27%. From the newly created Recovery and Resilience Facility, it is 37% written down in mm. law. Mm. Um, but in addition to us doing this, committing a lot of money to greening, member states, regions have to do the same, and the private sector also has to invest into greening. But for this, we have to create the right uh, uh, framework yeah. for the private sector, the right incentives to, um, to, to invest. And this is why what Marcus and Christian said before, I feel it is so important because we as EPP want to realize the transition to a green economy, but we want to do it with the industry not against. Mm. Uh, sometimes we have green colleagues who say European industry either it adapts or it dies. For us, for the EPP, the death of European industry is not an option. Um, we want to support industry to become more innovative, more future-oriented, greener, cleaner. But as Marcus and Christian said, the burden upon consumers, upon industry is significant now. We need to see how much they can shoulder and we should not ask more from them than they can do. Uh, and we should, also, we should also support them. And this is the approach of, uh, of, the, um, of the EPP. The Green Deal is much more complicated than it sounds in the first soundbite where you say by 2050 we should be CO2 neutral. Yeah, you want to decarbonize that, but you don't want to deindustrialize. That's, that right? sounds it's easy, yeah. but yeah. we have to do it in a way in which it is not based on regulation only, but it is based on investments, on mm. innovation, on research. Um, 20 years ago, we were all using uh, mobile phones uh, manufactured by European producers. Today, we're all using mobile phones manufactured by American, Korean, or some might even be using mobile phones manufactured by Chinese companies. What mm. I want to say is we should make the most of our single market, we should be connected, and we should remain competitive. We should invest into mm. our uh, transition to a green economy, not put regulation first before we know how we reach the targets. So mm -hmm. The target should be set when we know how we can reach it. Another, another money question is, uh, what about the um, decommitments for 2014, 2020, using that entire amount? Can, uh, Malchus, can you talk about that at all? Yeah. The first thing is what is available, and the second thing is how we can leverage that. Yeah. It's not only transfer money, but how to incentivize private, additional private investments. And that is what we are working in the Econ Committee, in the Economic and Monetary Affairs yeah. Committee, mainly when we have to implement Basel III, when we have to readjust regulations, uh, regulations yeah. for banks and for banks, insurers yeah. to yeah. translate it. And, and how, how we can release private investment. Because what I'm missing sometimes in the discussion here is we discuss only public investment, but we miss that private investment has to mm -hmm. be enabled as Which well. Which is the biggest part. And if we do a leverage yeah. that we, mm -hmm. as we do in the InvestEU program, for example, that we grant the, the risk by uh, the public money, but that enables private investors to put 
more money in these investments because the risk is shared with um, the public entities, then we are on the right track. And that, that mm. I think, is, is most important. So what the budget committee is, to use uh, to squeeze the financial frame really mm. to the last drop, but when it's squeezed, it's squeezed. The question is how we can leverage this money and how we can create an environment where additional investments take place. And that is what Christian said very clearly. Um, if if we are more um, asking our industry to do investments to become less energy consumption, to to have less CO2 emissions. And now even to start with a lot of bureaucratic burdens. So it's more interesting for them to make a documentation how to reduce CO2 than to do it. Right. Then I right. think we are on the wrong path. And then other things we have to address. Now then we are on the right track because I don't see that we will get uh, shortly a new financial frame. No. So we really have to engage private money additionally to that what public money can deliver and then we are able to, to fulfill these investments okay, well that, demands. Yeah, that's key, but, but uh, and what about also what they call own resources, that the EU can raise its own money? Is there, are you looking at that at all, Christian? I mean, I'm, I'm very careful about that. I okay. mean, we, we had that with a small amount on, 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 on uh, customs, um, but I mean, in perspective, we have to make a principal decision. Um, we are confronted with all sectoral policy with more ambition. So Europe wants to have quantum technology, Europe wants to digitalize, Europe wants to get yeah. more green. Yeah. How do you In pay between, for that? Um, we get now on the table that we want to go to space more. Now we have a chip initiative um, where 40, 41 million are announced mm -hmm. in public. And a battery initiative, right? And we have the same budget. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to choose. Uh, if you formulate ambition, yeah. I mean, that, I, I told that my children, I mean, no arms, no cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're in the absurd situation that the council and member states are formulating new ambitions, but we have the same money. And I think that is not going to work. So either um, we reduce our ambitions, um, which is not, from my point of view, not very plausible in these times, or we have to think about own resources. Um, because that is not going to work. I'm, I'm confronted right now on quantum. We are world leading. Mm. We have one million euro, billion euro for the quantum flagship project. We produced the first quantum computer of industrial uh, size, so to say. And now we have a chip initiative, uh, desperately looking for money, and then we want to cut the quantum project for the chip initiative. Yeah. So we are cannibalizing with our own ambition um, the leading the, the flagship projects of Europe, and that is not going to work. So from my point of view, without own resources, it might not work, or we have to be realistic. But if you go on to cannibalize ambitions by other ambitions, that is not going to work. Okay. I think we're getting close to the end now. I think if we can have some sum up, sort of a lightning round of, of, of comments on your message to European consumers, European businesses, uh, what we should be doing at the EU level to make life easier, considering this recovery from COVID, this, re this dealing with this, uh, this uh, Ukrainian war, um, and trying to make this green transition. How do we do this all at the same time? 
Look, during every crisis in the past 10, 15 years, people in Europe expected solutions from the European Union. This was the case during the economic financial crisis 10 years ago, during the migration crisis five years ago, during COVID, and now uh, following the Ukraine war. In every of these crises, the European Union delivered, mm. although in some areas we didn't have the prerogatives, the competences to do so. So one thing to do now is to make sure that the European Union has the right prerogatives, is rightly equipped to provide solutions to the problems that we are facing. So we need to um, update the European Union, which is a normal process in a world which is changing, firstly. Secondly, um, we need to keep course also between crises, because 10 years ago, during the economic and financial crisis, we decided that we need to reform our budgets. Uh, mm. Fiscal discipline is important. We should not overspend, because if you overspend, you will be weak in times of crisis. We decided to strengthen the economy, to be cautious with budgets. Once the crisis was over, we did some of our homework, but not all. We have to be honest. Also, when it came to the migration and refugee crisis, some things were done, some not. So what I want to say is also between the crises, we should be responsible, we should work on strengthening our economy and strengthening our position in view of the next crisis. We are ready from the European level to do our share, but there needs to be concerted efforts also with the national levels. It can't be that, you know, a member state overspends and then we're trying to compensate always from European level. We should mm. all be aware of our responsibility. We as EPP yeah. group are aware of our share of responsibility. Okay. Uh, Malchus, final comment. I think um, the lessons we learned, and I uh, fully agree with what uh, Siegfried said, is um, there's only one solution, and that is if Europe sticks together and addresses all these issues. But that means as well prioritizing and not cannibalizing. I, I mm -hmm. fully agree on that. Uh, and if you are not able to prioritize, then of course you have to uh, deliver new resources, new possibilities, maybe legally by changing the treaties or using pastoral clauses or financially by readjusting uh, the financial frame and, and granting new own resources that we are able to deliver. But you cannot say Europe has to deliver, but with the old system. And, and I think that is the momentum we have to use now as well what we can do in changing in our mm. legal position, treaties or passerelle, and on the other hand, on the financial area. And therefore, I think EPP has a lot of good ideas, finding support in the parliament, delivering for the people in Europe. Christian, keeping that momentum, how do we do it? I think we should stop fighting our own industry. I mean, this artificial contradiction between the citizens and the European economy is crazy. Citizens are employed. Citizens have a job, want to have a job, want to have a living. And we create artificially now um, so, some kind of distance between the European societies and the European economy. And that's insane from my point of view. It's, it's very dangerous. Um, and secondly, we should wake up. I mean, we are, the Russians had thrown us in, yet again in our public discussion in geopolitics. And we should understand that no European state has a solution for its own. So if we want somehow um, adopt to the realities, we have to understand that we are one of the three global players. That's China, that is more or less uh, Russia, uh, uh, it's the United States, and then where we are. And I think the Russia crisis made us understand that we have to have a global an idea about our global relationships, 
about dependencies, about um, needed allies. And I think we have to wake up. We are very, very much self-centered in Europe, nationally, but also in, in the European Union. And I think we have to wake up. We're in the 21st century, it might be a much more hostile century than we had been experienced the last 50 years. It was a peacetime. We had been spoken about, speaking about the peacetime dividend, but right now we are back to reality. And if we are tackled the reality by innovation, uh, by, by an ambition in our societies, um, yes, to achieve the Fit for 55 goals, climate reduction, but also have an, a look on the digitalization, on the need for innovation, I think we are able to cope. But if we stay self-centered, we might not survive. Christian, thank you very much. Malkus, Siegfried, thank you. tackling this Ukraine crisis on an economic basis here at home in the European Union. Thanks to all of you for watching the CPP Group event here in the European uh, Parliament in uh, Strasbourg. Keep in mind, uh, at EPP Group EU for any tweets you'd like to do. And uh, take a look at uh, more information on EPP Group EU. I'm Chris Burns. See you next time.